a good work. But the other passage I want you to turn to is, is Peter. What does Peter say? So go to go to First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. We're going to see some consistent patterns here. The idea of shepherding flock. First Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also partaker of the glory that will be, will be revealed. He's writing to many elders here. In verse 2 he says, Shepherd, feed. The word is actually shepherd. Shepherd, feed the flock of God which is among you, not taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for money's sake, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, either as being lords over God's heritage or those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So what you see here uh, um, is that God gives a shepherd team and then and then we'll see here in a minute that in relation to that shepherd team, he gives a servant team. And this is, this is, a, this is a shepherd team is a committee. It's not a board. It's, it's a spirit-appointed team of shepherds of God's flock as overseers, as stewards, as teachers, as in leaders. Men that God has equipped to care for the family of God. And they're to be above reproach in character. They're to know the word. They're to be sound. And it's balanced. And they're to have the skill to teach it and protect from lies and emptiness. Alright, that's, that's, that's the first group, the shepherd team, right? And then, who are the servants then? The servant team, the deacon. And what is their relationship to the shepherd, elder, overseers, and what do they do? And part of that, answering that question is, 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 is you have to understand the relationship here. Because there's very little said. There's much said about the shepherding team. Lots of content about that. But there's only two places where it talks about the servant team, the deacons. And I, I introduced the first one in Philippians 1.1 1, 1 with the title. And then here in 1 Timothy 3. And so part of understanding is to know what the shepherd overseers do. Because the overseers would be appointed first before the deacons in the New Testament. Even all the way back in Acts 6, which perhaps is a prototype for what we see with this relationship here. You have the ministry of the word and prayer in the Jerusalem church, right? With the twelve leaders. But there were some things that weren't being taken care of, that needed to be taken care of with the, with the, with the widows. And so seven men are appointed to help with the widows and the food provision need that comes up later. So seven were added after, according to the need that arose. Again in Titus, uh, to set in order the churches on Crete. Paul demands, demands, priority number one, set these things in order. And what is it? A team of shepherd overseers in each church who are qualified. But there's not deacons mentioned because deacons would arise as the need arises there. I could, it will follow later. So you have in Philippians 1 and you have 1 Timothy 3, you have, the, you have this pattern, don't you? You have the overseers and the deacons. Um, first, the, 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 the overseers are mentioned and the servant assistants, the deacon, in relationship to the shepherds. The overseers can, can stand alone in the sense that, that, that that's, you have to have shepherding oversight in a church, don't you? But the deacons stand in relation to the shepherd overseers. Here's what I mean by that. They operate 
under the leadership of the shepherd leaders. They carry out in service the tasks that are delegated by the shepherd leaders. Um, This is what seems to be the clear teaching of the New Testament here. And by the way, be Bereans. Study this out. Study this out. Um, if there's if this isn't lining up with Scripture, um, bring it bring bring it uh, bring it in line with Scripture here. Um, so at its basic level, here the, the 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 deacons, the servants, they carry out in service the tasks that are delegated by the shepherd leaders by the shepherd leaders. At its basic level, the word that we have translated deacon is is what's called a transliteration. Another word, another, another way to say that is, it is the, the, the Greek word turned into English. Um, so, diakonos was the word here that's used for service, for the, for the work of the ministry here. And so that's where the, we get the word deacon. It means to serve. In its basic usage, that's what it is in relation to the shepherd overseers. So, biblically, deacons fall under the shepherds and they stand ready to execute the logistics of the church. <clears throat> um, I've been in churches where you got the preacher and you got the deacons. And the deacons make sure that the preacher stays in line, right? Board of deacons. And I got uh, and I've been in churches where where um, deacons have thought that it's their job to protect the congregation from the preacher. Biblically, here's how it's supposed to work here. It's not a board like an American business, right, that oversees the CEOs. Or rather, these are grace-driven servants of Jesus that are recognized because of their consistent character by the church, and they're delegated to execute the logistics of the church. That's Jesus' vision for Paul here for the deacons. Let me give you an illustration. So the shepherds might say, well, we've been looking at the Word and praying about it, and we need to fill in the blank. And the deacons say, okay, here's what we got here. Um, Here's the things that we can make that happen in the people, and here's what we're missing. Here's here's, here's the logistics of what that would be like. Let me give you another illustration. Shepherds say, we're going to go to Philadelphia. Deacons say, okay, here's the fuel we have, the roads available, the vehicle we have, and we think it'll take this to get there and we'll set it up. Or, you can put it this way. On the other side, if Philadelphia is our destination and we don't have the fuel or the routes available, deacons say, and the back tire that of, the, of, the, of, of the vehicle has a leak, so we're going to have to figure out some alternatives here. That's the role here. That's how, it, that's how it plays together here. And so the deacon's task is to, is to be serving assistance to the shepherds. Um, their task is to manifest the servant character of transformed lives by Jesus' gospel from the inside out under the oversight of the shepherd elders on behalf of Jesus' church. In other words, their assistance to the shepherds in the progress of God's church They're not assistant shepherds. They're assistants to the shepherds. Acts 19 and verse 22. There's a little bit of an example of this with Paul and the team who travels with him. 
in Acts 19 and verse 22, Luke says about Paul, So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him. The word ministered is the, is the same root word here for deacon. He's sending two that have, that to, to do ministry. Here they're, 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 he's delegating ministry here. Um, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. That's a good little illustration here of what he's talking about. Assistance to Paul. The assistance to the shepherd. And so for the order for the saints to see what ministry is and to see God's plan that he lays out in Ephesians 4, that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, they equip the church to do the work of the ministry here. That's the work of the ministry, to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That word ministry is diakonos. Their deacons are a key role in this. A key cog in seeing ministry happen. And so, in order, and, and, and Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, as we do this, the church grows up into the stature and the fullness of Christ as we speak the truth in love. A mature man, not tossed to and fro, but focused here. And so there's a, there's a key role here that, that deacons have. And for the saints to see what the ministry is and, and to help us grow to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, God has given the church living pictures of men devoted to carrying out the progress of the church under the leadership of the shepherd overseers. And that's why in our text, please go to 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, Paul says, Likewise. In the same way. That's why in 1 Timothy 3 here, he's connecting this, the character of, 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 of elders, of overseers, of bishops in verses 1 through 3. He says, likewise, in the same way. And a list of character and the guidelines needed to discern these serving assistants. To show us, this is what a servant looks like. This is what those we recognize here as servants are like. To, to show us what devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the family of God serving His eternal purposes. And what that looks like in some very ordinary but yet extraordinary ways. And so we looked at verses 8 through 14. And let's set the context again. Do you remember what's going on in Ephesus? There are distractions. There are people going off on tangents in chapter 1. There are people who are missing the goal of instruction, which is transform lives. A, a pure conscience of faith that's, that's not faith. The goal of the commandment, which is love, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 11. Healthy, life-giving doctrine, teaching. In the midst of that false teaching, it is, th- it is threatening a church near the Aegean Sea in the Mediterranean world. And this is no mere human organization. Chapter 3 says this is, a, this is a household, a family of God, where He dwells. The living God. This isn't the pastor's church, or the shepherd's church, or your church, or whoever's church. This is Jesus' church. And so, this plays a vital role. And so Paul is equipping Timothy to prepare and to correct against the assault and, 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 the, and, the, and the wrong focuses here so that the church is established. And so he, this is why 
in contrast to chapter 2 where there were some things that were probably going on with wrong teaching and wrong people. And in chapter 1 he says this is what, in chapter 3, 1 through 7, this is what the overseers need to look like and these are the men who assist them. And so Paul equips Timothy to prepare against this and he establishes and encourages define, train this and he spent time on, on Timothy and so he's saying in a similar manner, in a similar manner, what? Well, First of all, he's going to go over their character. Their character. And he lists character qualities. He says grave. They should be grave. And when we think of grave, we probably think of a guy who can't smile much here. But the word is dignity. It's a respect. A person who commands respect, not because they demand respect, but because they have the character to back it up. That's dignity. That's grave. Being worthy of esteem or, 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 or esteem or respect, and especially in regards to one's behavior. Someone who's wise. Remember we talked about on the whiteboard the things that people listen to? This is somebody who people listen to because they are wise. Dignity. Grave. Not double-tongued. That means saying one thing to one person another to another. They're sincere. You can take them at their, at their word. You have a reputation for keeping your word. And he says those who, who um, are not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. There's a self-control. There's, a, there's the ability, uh, because of Christ's victory, to live free of addictions through Christ. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Or not greedy of money. Those who are a generous giver. They're not selfish hoarders. Those who are a good steward of possessions because they know they don't own them. God does. They keep it in, in keeping and alignment and agreement with, with kingdom priorities rather than their own gain. Those that are honest in their financial dealings, right? And paying their bills and reporting their taxes. Those that don't have a miser's grip, but they hold things loosely for God to work through their money. Those that have learned to be content in a season of surplus and those that have learned to be content when they're in a season of lack. But there's some character qualifications. And then, you'll notice in verse 9, there is um, uh, some doctrinal things. He says in verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The faith, the body of the Christian truth, the faith that's been once delivered to the saints. The apostles' doctrine that the early church continued in and we're to continue in today. They're, they hold to it with a clean conscience. In other words, it means this. That the things they profess, their lives are in line with. There's not inconsistency, glaring inconsistency there with what they believe. The New Testament doesn't, doesn't give us that, 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 uh, that freedom to separate our profession of our faith with, and what we believe from our lives. The mystery, it's the revealed secrets of the Christian faith now. The New Testament truths, the body of truth upon which our faith rests. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have a steel grip on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have a steel grip on the culture that the gospel of Jesus Christ now forms? Do you understand that? That the gospel truth enters and you received it and you received King Jesus and His saving power. And when you received King Jesus in His saving power, they gave you eternal life. 
that will extend beyond this physical life, right? To an eternal life, eternal home here. He also has given you a responsibility. There's kind of a lie that goes around in our culture. God just gives us things without expectations. Like, okay, you can do this and, you know, God's just loving, so you just do it. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay because He's just loving and He's forgiving. But the truth of it is, God has, God has, God has, God has handed us the keys. He's given us the vehicle. And it would be an affront to the precious blood of Jesus Christ to not use what He's given us. To not work out the salvation that He's given us so freely. Is there a personal trust and daily reliance upon Jesus? Is there a lifestyle of repentance and faith? Continual. As the Word of God shows you things that are not in alignment with Jesus, I'm confessing them. And by His power, I'm putting off the old man. I'm putting on the new man with a renewed mind. Do you hold these truths with a clear conscience? Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Conforming to the faith that we say we profess. Going farther than just a mental agreement to beliefs, but, but lives that line up with the worthiness of this calling. You have a credible profession of personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand the good news, the Gospel? I'm going to talk about that here in a in a, in, a, in a little bit toward the end. Do you bring Jesus' work and Jesus' words, the Scripture, to bear on your life? Do you continue in the faith despite the ups and downs of ministry? Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And you notice verse 10. Let these also be first proved and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. You don't self-appoint yourself, do you? To be a deacon. You know, being a servant tests our character more than anything else, doesn't it? Everybody says they want to be a servant until they're treated like a servant, right? I'm going to skip 10 and 11. Excuse me, let's skip uh, verse, um, verse 11 and come back to it. Alright? Because I want to just keep the continuity here of this passage. Um, verse 11 talks about the women. I'm going to go to verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ. Jesus. Family. Like elders, there to be a one-woman man whose families are presided over well. By the way, this doesn't mean that bachelors can't be deacons. Paul himself as an apostle was single. Timothy was probably single and our Lord and Savior was a single man. It doesn't mean a man who is only married once. It's a one-woman man is the word here. Because that would disqualify widowers who remarried as well as men whose wives have left them despite their desire to remain married. And have been faithful in that marriage. If that's what Paul meant, he could have very easily said that. But here's his point. Are you faithful in your covenants to God? 
your moral, your sexual purity, your devotion to the one that you have said in your vows for better or worse. Guys, what are your entertainment choices? Are you fighting this battle? Are you evidencing faithfulness to your wife? Are there people that you flirt with? Are you faithful emotionally and physically? How important is your marriage in your home? And how would your spouse answer that question about you? And he also says they must be managing their home. The word manage here is a word that's used of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 who risked himself to bandage and care for the wounded man. He responded with care and supervision and compassion and concern. That's managing your home. Men, are you attentive to the spiritual leadership and needs in your home? Would your wife agree with that assessment? Do you care for your children in spiritual ways as well? Would your wife and children say they qualify in these areas? Why is it, men, that we can be so quick to do hard physical labor and sweat and bleed, but passive and weak to tend to the eternal needs of our families, our wives, our kids, our grandkids, etc.? This is a man who is not spiritually passive, who takes his home seriously. Does not mean that his home is perfect. Does not mean that his children will make wrong choices on their own. But that he is guiding the home into Christ through the storms of life. And Christ is real in the home. And all these qualifications for deacons, do you see the theme here of living sacrifices? Surrendered servants saying no to selfishness and yes to God and His Word. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. These qualities are the measures of a man who's uh, a surrendered servant. You might be saying, wow, there's some things here that the Holy Spirit is putting a spotlight on in my heart. He's tapping me on. pastor's picking on me this morning. It's not me. It's the Word of God who lays bare the heart. And as God convicts you of these things, let me tell you how you are supposed to respond to the Word of God here. Take your sin in any of these areas and name it specifically. Think through the idol that is behind it, the wrong thinking that's behind it, the wrong God that you're worshiping falsely in any of these things that you've allowed to dominate your heart and ask for His cleansing forgiveness. And then tell God how insufficient that sin is in spite of the sufficiency of God's provision in Christ. In spite of what it promises again and again and again, but fails to deliver. Tell Him how dangerous it is. Speak to the Lord about it. And how it destroys the great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor. Tell him how offensive it is to God as you, as you seek it and, and dishonor the blood of Christ for you. And then, plead the blood of Christ. One drop of His blood outweighs the world. One drop of His blood outweighs your sins. 
to sing the song, Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He is rich. Jesus gravitates. He moves toward sinners. He does not hold them with a repulsive stiff arm. Sinners who come to Jesus, He welcomes. He receives. He loves. Ask forgiveness on the basis of His finished work and righteousness. My sin was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Replace the sin and the false God behind the sin. Really rejoicing in Jesus' unmeasured grace to sinners and rest in praise to Him as you replace that sin with righteousness, Romans 6, righteousness. Yielding to the Spirit's work and His Word in your life. That's the character portion of it. But notice what he says in verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, or they obtain a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice that word for, there's a connection here. The requirements of the character and the practice that need to be true of these servants of the church who manifest the servant character of transformed lives and serve Jesus under the shepherds here for the progress of the gospel, the progress of the ministry of the church here. There is a great motivation and a great reward for wholeheartedness. That word for explains why verses 8 through 12 are important. There's a result here that the word is pushing up and holding up For, it's now pushing open the door to show the incentive for service as a servant of Jesus Christ. Do this in an excellent way, is what he's saying. So there's the connection. We've seen the character, now the connection, the word for. And then notice there's the condition here, the qualifier. They have used the office of a deacon well. Those who have served well as deacon. Notice the tense. Have ministered. Are acquiring to themselves. Using it well means a commendable service done in the right way. Just as the well there, just as the good in verse 1. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. There's, there's, there's a goodness to this. There's commendable service done in the right way. They've excellently ministered. They've excellently served. And then there's also another C here. There's the compensation. Two things. Two things. What is the compensation here? They purchase or obtain to themselves a good degree or a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. They obtain, purchase, they obtain or they preserve a good degree, a high standing. It's the idea of a a step or a stair, a high standing. Like when you walked into into this building, you came up the stairs. Because years ago, you had to jack this building out of the the mud, right? So you you had to take a a standing, a high standing. You had to to come up here, a step or stair here. And it means a, a, a grade of advancement, a position. Now, in order to understand this, because you might have, um, you might be saying, well, I thought we were supposed to not shine the light on ourselves. 
here in advance, right? Up the, up the, up the ladder here. Here's what you need to understand. In Roman Empire days, you lived to have people serve you. That's why there was slavery, right? And what Paul is saying here through the word of Jesus Christ is this. Is what Jesus has already said over and over in his Gospels and where he demonstrated in John 13 in the upper room. The way the world says to gain is to step on people and use them, right? They serve you. The more people you have under you serving you, that's power. And Jesus says true power is you coming under others and serving them. And one of the side benefits of that is this. There is an assurance of a good standing. It's the idea of a, of a good reputation, a respect. Not because you lord over people, because you come under people and serve. And Paul says they will obtain an excellent standing, an excellent standing in this, a degree of honor, an honorable standing in Jesus' family. That's why Paul calls upon us to make sure they're qualified. Deacons can do a good work. Deacons, on account of the faithful work, can have an honorable standing in the household of God. That is better than the rank in your workplace. That's better than your academic prowess, your, your, your athletic abilities, the size of your, you, uh, of your business. It's better than any of that. Because there is a certainty that you can have that too. And the thing that is the most honorable organism in the planet, the church. It's a tremendous privilege. In other words, through low, selfless service to the family of God, deacons who serve faithfully and excellently gain honor in the household of God. And you can be assured as they do so, they receive eternal rewards from the Father. Notice the other compensation, he says, and, the end of verse 13, great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Great boldness in the faith which is in Messiah Jesus. They will gain much boldness in the faith. Boldness in the faith here. Here's why. As you appropriate the truths of the faith, as you serve, that demands spiritual power. (laughs) That demands thinking of yourself less and thinking of God and others more. That's not natural. And there's a faith in you that grows. A faith in the faith that grows. Serving excellently, you strengthen what you really believe. It's like a muscle working out. You strengthen it. You don't have to be a shepherding overseer, shepherd leader to be a spiritual giant in the church. That's a big lie. You have to be faithful. And faithfulness is serving others through Jesus' power. Deacons that serve well are men of faith who act out of that faith, in the faith, and at the same time grow in that faith. Unbelief freezes, it paralyzes, doesn't it? Stops the work of God's people. Belief presses on. And serving as a deacon well will allow God to do great things through you. And there's principles here that I understand not everybody's a deacon. There's principles here that relate to all of us. Works to be done according to his faith. William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. 
And no wonder Stephen in Acts chapter 6, kind of as a picture of what we're talking about here, was, a, was, was, was called a man full of faith. Full of faith. A boldness, a confidence. You might say, well, what was shared this morning isn't, just seems to be about deacons. But it's not isolated just to deacons. There's, there's great overlap to any serving Christian here. The word serve is true of every believer. But here's some application here. Pray for our serving deacons. Pray for those who will. This faithfulness is not something that's insignificant in God's family. And here God has given us in our midst examples here. Clay pots like all of us. People who will love Jesus and serve His family and others. We can lean toward the world's mode of selfishness and just having people serve us, but Jesus says true greatness is thinking of yourself less and being a servant. And so He gave us people who recognize it as examples and follow of selfless service. Deacons or servants, literally. To serve alongside through the gospel of Jesus Christ, continuing to transform their lives and assist. And all this is true because of Jesus, isn't it? I think of Philippians chapter 2. Is there a better passage that describes what we're talking about here? Philippians 2. The gospel. If there's any hope in Jesus, any, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of mercy... Paul tells the Philippians, fulfill you my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit or pride, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Don't just look out, don't look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. And then he gives that, he gives that moral quality, you know, those character qualities, and we're like, uh, I know. The weight of that is too hard. And then he says what? Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also where? Christ Jesus. And he talks about who? Jesus Christ in the form of God. Eternal God. Always eternal God. Did not consider a robbery to be equal with God. It was right for him to be God. He was God. He was equal with God because he was God. But what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient. Obedient even to death. Even to the death of a Roman cross. He died on the cross for our sins. If that's not putting yourself under other people, I don't know what is, right? Therefore, God has given him a high standing. Therefore, God also is highly exalted and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the truth of the Gospel right there. Repent and believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Crucified, humbled, crucified, suffered, risen, and Lord who will return. And it's on that basis that he says this, Therefore, my beloved, my beloved in Christ, he gives him a little credit. I don't know if it's more credit than he deserved or not. But he says, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not when I was just with you, but now even more as I've, as I've had to focus on other things in my absence as well. And he says, out of Jesus now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Friends, if you have not called upon the servant, the deacon, the minister, who became obedient unto the death of the cross, you know what you are as we look at this passage? You're like the Pharisees who had really nice cemeteries, beautiful whitewashed tombs, painted tombs. But inside, Jesus says, like a rotting corpse, and you're dead in your sins. But Jesus' death and resurrection paid for, your, for our sorry corpses. They paid for them, and upon your trust, raises you to be made new on the inside and live for him. Jesus comes in and he reigns. And today's the good day of salvation. And you have to turn to Him and be saved. Be saved from sin. Be saved to God for His good pleasure. And you come to Jesus to change you from the inside out. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian family or you're a kid who's heard this every day in church and Sunday schools. Since you were born, you came and heard the Word of God and you're at Christian school it doesn't matter if you're a, 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 a guy who's, who's, who's been in this seat for years and years. Jesus has to change you. It has to be appropriated. But it's on you to turn to Jesus. If any man comes unto me, Jesus says, I will in no wise, I will in no way cast him out. And believers... Are you working out your salvation of being in Christ? Growing in Christ. In Victorian days, they had this strange practice that they would do. They would take pictures of the dead with family members as kind of a last memory with them. And they would literally prop up the bodies with the families and take a family picture. We are either growing in Christ or we're propping up the old corpse in our own power. Jesus changes us from the inside out as we act on the truth of being in the vine. He grows and He prunes us as branches to bear fruit from the inside out. And so believers in this passage here, we're to put off the old crucified life 
We're to renew our thinking as to what Jesus has done to make us his own. And we're to put on specifically the servant character of Christ and faith as we pursue him for the glory of his church in this world. That's what Jesus is calling the unbeliever and the believer to do in this passage. To come to Jesus. Believer, come back to Jesus. Walk in his ways. Unbeliever, come to Jesus as the only hope for your soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how it lays out here your really the, the, the character qualities of a transformed life. This is the measure of a man, a man who's growing in you. I pray, Lord, that we would um, be overwhelmed by your mercy and grace. We would receive the Word of God that has been grafted to our souls and we would grow in it. Lord, I pray for the souls here that might just be putting on a facade and not know You. Might be attached to the things of the Lord, but have never it's, it's never gone on the inside. I pray, Lord, You would do Your convicting work and today would be the day of salvation. That not one second of the next breath of life is guaranteed. And I pray for us as believers here that we would live that way as well, knowing that your return is soon. Our days here on this earth are numbered. And what we do in life will matter in eternity. Help us to seek your glory and your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.